Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, all you movie fans out there. Thanks so much for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course. But if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. I'm your host, Betty Jo Tucker, speaking to you during the first week of July 2011. We have a fun show planned today, folks. It's all about Disneyland memories. And I think most movie addicts have a special place in their hearts for the Magic Kingdom. July is a good month to talk about Disneyland because it opened in July 1955, which means this year marks 56 years that the amazing amusement park has been in operation. To help us celebrate, our special guest is Stephen Shohat, author of Fascinating Walt Disney and Hollywood Stories. Now, Stephen has been on our show before, and he's regaled us with some very fascinating tales. So we're happy that he's agreed to join with us, to join us again today. Welcome back to Movie Attic Headquarters, Stephen. Oh, thank you, Betty Jo. Nice to be here with everybody. Oh, and we're so glad that you could be with us today, Stephen. We're we're very eager to talk with you about Disneyland, but first... Let's see if my colleagues are ready to help with the show. If you remember, listeners can sign up to chat during this live broadcast. So let's check with Daniel Dyer, who's serving as our producer while Nikki Starr is recuperating, to see if all systems are going in the chat room. Danny, is the chat room open now? Yes, ma'am, and chat's where it's at. If you want to get into chat, go to the top right-hand part of your page, and click on sign up for Blog Talk Radio. It's free. It's easy. It only takes about a couple of seconds. And we like comments in the chat room. We sure do. And, and we really appreciate our chatters as well as other listeners. Um, and thanks, Danny, for doing such a good job uh, wrangling the chat. And thanks also to A.J. Hockery, the Mad Movie Man, for agreeing to be our co-host today while Jazz Shaw is on vacation. AJ, I hate to admit it, I don't want him to get a big head, but he's one of my favorite film critics. He writes for various <laughs> outlets, including Real Talk Movie Reviews, Review Express, Classic Movie Guide, and Terror Tube. He's also the founder and editor of Passport Cinema, a site devoted strictly to foreign language movies. AJ, are you ready to find out more about Walt Disney and the history of Disneyland? I am ready, raring to go. I am excited. And uh, as we were uh, talking about before the show, I can only be here for about 20 minutes because I was called into my uh, job uh, earlier today, so I have to take off. But uh, then again, you know, 20 minutes with me, it's a lot better than 45 minutes with jazz. So there's, oh, it, it, no, you're kind of trading up. 
I hope Jazz isn't listening to the archives. I, I hope he. I hope he is. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll hear about that that later. But I'm sure that he's happy too that you could co-host today's show. And because you do have to leave um, in about 20 minutes, I'm um, sort of turning the show over to you for this first uh, part of it. Uh, so you're on, uh, AJ. Go ahead with your questions for Stephen. All right, I'm ready to go. Uh, first question is probably uh, the most obvious one. Where did Walt get the idea for Disneyland? Well, there were multiple places. Uh, Walt Disney had two daughters. Their names were D- Diane and Sharon. And he used to like to take them around to, to various places uh, around L.A. on Saturday, including amusement parks. And he was always dissatisfied with the amusement parks. Um, he, you know, he'd sit there on the on the bench and sort of make these this mental catalog of, of what could be done better. Like he noticed things like there were too many rides on one side and too much empty space on the other side. And he felt that if he were running the place, he'd surround people with attractions so, so people wouldn't get shepherded into one crowd area. Um, he, he noticed that they only served junk food, which he personally liked, but he thought people should have choices. Um, he thought the rides tended to look kind of run down. Um, the ride operators were, were, at least to his, from his point of view, not very friendly. And the thing that bothered him the most about, about amusement parks was how dirty they were. Uh, people would drop trash on the ground, and nobody would come by and pick it up. And he, he reasoned that if people, the people running the place didn't care about keeping it clean, neither would the customers. But, but one thing mm-hmm. about Walt, he loved turning sour lemons into sweet lemonade. Uh, one of the things he did at his studio for 20 years he employed two writers and everybody said they were incompetent they never came up with a good idea and he was once asked walt why do you keep these two guys around and he said i'll tell you why every time they make a suggestion then i know what not to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it was very similar with with, with the amusement park idea that, that do it the opposite of what didn't work now, now, there were other factors, too, because he got the idea around 1939, and, and, and it evolved over time. And what, one of the factors were that people were always writing him letters, I'd like to take a tour of your studio. And he gave oh. tours of the studio, but he felt that, that it, it was kind of lacking, that, that people just saw men at work over drawing boards, making pictures, but, but not really some sort of magical thing. Um, so he, he flirted with building a, a small amusement park across the street from the studio, and uh, the city of Burbank wasn't too happy about it. And then he ran into all these financial problems, so he really couldn't do it. Um, and, and then the, uh, there were other factors as well. Uh, Walt really, when he first got the idea of Disneyland, things were going great. Uh, Snow White was a, a big hit. I'm going back to 1939. It had made $8 million, and movie tickets cost $0.25 cents for adults and a dime for kids. So he was really expanding at that point. And then he came up with Fantasia, Pinocchio, and Bambi. And he, he had a new studio in Burbank and 3,000 employees. And almost everything went south. Uh, Pinocchio, Bambi, and Fantasia had all failed in their first releases. Oh, no. World War II had cut off his overseas market. Um, um, the the uh, artist, about 40% of them had gone on strike, which, which made Walt feel really bitter and betrayed. He thought it was a communist-led 
led strike against him. Um, he was forced to sell stock in the company, which he didn't want to do because um, he didn't like answering to anybody, but he had no choice. And, and, and Bank of America had him under his thumb. So there were all these de- depressing things. And, and most of the things he made during World War II propaganda films for the government and the only real successes he had during the war financially were re-releasing Snow White and and, yeah. and Dumbo which was uh, much lower budget than Fantasia, Pinocchio and Bambi and the public sort of took to that one right away and, uh, you know for whatever reason but, well, but it was a cute um, movie it was a really cute yeah. movie it's one of my favorites oh yeah absolutely you know it, well well you know, you always get sidetracked with these stories here, but uh, I'll tell you what happened. Bambi took so long to make. It started in 1937, and it took five years. Um, and and uh, because of that, they, they weren't going to get any product out in 1941. So they started working on Dumbo. And, and see, with Bambi, they were trying to be so realistic. With Dumbo, they just said it, it's a cartoon. You know, the, the heart is in the story. Not, not in what we're trying to do with, with technology here, or, or trying to make the animals seem like they're they're living in the forest. And, and so the Dumbo was mostly made when Walt was away in South America for a good neighbor trip, and the artists just poured their hearts into it. And so Walt came back, and his brother Roy said, "Well, I don't know what we're going to do with this Dumbo. It's too long for a feature. I, I'm sorry, it's too long for a short cartoon, but it's only an hour. It's too short for a feature." And so Walt watched it, and he started crying. He was so moved by the, you know, the the mother elef- elephant and the the baby elephant and their relationship. And he said, "Roy, just release it as is. Nobody's going to care how short it is." Now, actually, they added a couple of short cartoons to, to, you know, help it be a little bit longer. But but Dumbo was a really big hit. I didn't mean anything by whatever reason. I, you know, I I just that, that just came out for some reason. <laughs> trying to tell the story too fast, another- I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely sounds like he. Uh, there was a lot more going into Disneyland than just him going. I'm Walt Disney. I need another way to make money. It was a lot more than that. Like you said, when yeah. he was because uh, it was all inspired by him taking his uh, daughters there. Uh, so, uh, but for when the park eventually did open, uh, why do you think that uh, Disneyland eventually fulfilled Walt uh, more than the movies? Uh, well, here, here's the thing I was I was going to get to. As, as time went on, um, he became frustrated as a filmmaker for a lot of reasons. What one reason was simply having box office failures. I, I, I mean, because when you're making a movie, there, there's an element of shooting in the dark, and you don't know what's going to be a big hit. And of course, in those days, you didn't have. Uh, director's cuts, DVDs, so you couldn't really change a movie. So you put it out there, you hope for the best. There, there was an element of, of getting it out there with a deadline that that, that was unpleasant for him. Um, I mean, you know, he had to get product out. And, and uh, even his, his number one movie before Mary Poppins came along years later, Snow White, uh, he, he would look at Snow White and say, oh, I wish we would have, we would have done this better and that better. Uh, you know, there was a scene where the prince seemed to shimmy a little bit and he wanted to change it. And, he, you know, financial realities, you can't change it. So so you you, you have something where, where you, you move on to the next project all the time. And, and he, he used to, at one point he called Snow White a dead issue um, years later. But the idea about Disneyland was it would never be done. 
And, and that, mm-hmm. that's what he started realizing as time went on, that he, he used to call that plussing, where, where you could constantly add to it, where it would be dynamic. And, and that's what made it a unique project. Uh, uh, see, see, the one time he tried to do that with a movie was Fantasia, because Fantasia was multiple segments, and he figured it could play in some movie theater forever, and then he'd add new segments every month or, or every couple of months, uh, and it would always be changing. But, but you, Fantasia was a box office bust. He never lived to see it be a, a success. It only became a success after he passed on. So, right. so um, you know, from the creative fulfillment point of view, Disneyland gave him that element that, that the movies couldn't give him. Now, the other thing was, and this is probably a smaller thing, but it, it probably mattered. In order to get away from his problems, he, he, he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him, you, you need a hobby because – you know, he, he used to play polo, but he had fallen off his horse and hurt his neck, and uh, you, you know he was in a great deal of pain. And and so the hobby he chose was a miniature railroad, and, and he always wanted to be an engineer of a train, and he wanted to build a full size railroad that went around his studio, a little train ride for the studio. And he was told there wasn't enough room, so he ended up building this miniature train in, in the backyard. It was about one eighth scale. And it was called the Carrollwood Pacific. And, and he used to really enjoy circa 1948 taking people on these train rides and, and, and kids and, you know, uh, uh, you know important people, VIPs. And, and the only thing about the train rides were that it drove his wife crazy. You know, she'd look out the window and she'd see him, a grown man, you know, uh, riding on the choo-choo train, uh, you know, through her begonias. And there was that element of, well, why doesn't he go to work? Uh, You know, he was sort of hiding out. So building the amusement park gave him a chance for a new full-size railroad, which didn't bother his wife. (laughs) Well, what's the exact opening uh, date? It's that, July seventeenth, nineteen fifty-five. It didn't go uh, very well, and it was known as uh, Black Sunday, for you know, forever after with uh, you know all the things that went wrong. Oh, oh, and it does, and it's the story behind that opening day is a uh, is a little bit notorious. Like now we enjoy uh, Disneyland, and now it's spawned off into Disney World and all these other different parks uh but how how exactly did that opening day go like was it a success or was it a total disaster well it was a success as far as people being interested in showing up what well, one of the things um that that happened was the uh, Walt had gotten the Disneyland TV show and and so he announced Disneyland to the public in August 1954 and it was had to be opened by July 1955, and he put his credibility on the line. People trusted him, and also he really wanted the summer business because people in the 50s really didn't travel very much in the winter. So that you know that put a lot of pressure in getting things done, and they weren't really done. And so on, on opening day, there were 10,000 uh, invitation-only tickets. They were easy to forge, so over three times that many people showed up. So that's good that they, you, you know you have all those extra people, but it's bad yeah. because nearly half the rides broke down because of the excess weight. They weren't prepared for it, and mm-hmm. and they had a he had a choice. He could either have the bathrooms working or the drinking fountains working because there was a plumber strike. So they decided <laughs> to have the bathrooms oh. working because you, you know Walt, you know cleanliness that could not 
fathom people going to the bathroom in, in the park in places they're not supposed to. Um, and, and of <laughs> course, it was a very hot day in July, and people passed out because of the heat. And, and so the day was sponsored by Pepsi-Cola, and people assumed um, that it was a conspiracy by Pepsi-Cola to not have the drinking fountains work. So, that, that, uh, so they'd sell more Pepsi. So that led to, to you know, all sorts of angry thoughts, and, and you know, there were other problems as well. Now, Tomorrowland, he really at that point didn't have any idea what he wanted to do with it. And so it, it was really covered up with balloons and pennants, and it couldn't absorb any of the human traffic. Um, <laughs> the asphalt on Main Street wasn't dry, so the ladies with the high-heeled shoes, they got stuck Uh-oh. in stuff. You know, um, there was also a man standing on the side of the park with a ladder charging $5 to climb over the fence, um, and, you know, and they, they caught him. And, and, and then Fantasyland, to make matters work, it sprung a gas leak in the middle of the day. So oh, Fantasyland, you got Yeah, so you got no Fantasyland, you got no Tomorrowland, and, and it was a very hot day, and it, it, as, as it wore on, fights actually broke out between the ride operators and the patrons. So, oh, you know, actual fights! Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. and, and, and see, the the thing about uh, Walt that day, of course, he was he was thrilled. It was one of the best days of his life until he read about it in the paper the next day. I mean, <laughs> oh, he was uh, yeah, he was running around with uh, uh, um, uh, you know a, a president. Re- well, he wasn't President Reagan, Ronald Reagan at that time, and and uh, Art Linkletter, and they were doing the a live television show. So. So he couldn't be in every place at once, and he had to wait till the next day to get to the reports. But at, you know, again, if it would have been a movie, it might have been pulled out of the theater. But but he was immediately able to go back and, and start to fix things. I, I'm kind of reminded now of that line from Jurassic Park. Well, nothing worked on Disneyland opening day, uh, but the Pirates of the Caribbean didn't try to eat the tourists. It sounds like it almost happens, though. Almost. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, Michael Crichton's idea for Jurassic Park was going on Pirates of the Caribbean. And and, and he imagined what would happen if the pirates attacked, uh, you know, attacked the people, uh, attacked the customers. And he actually uh, originally made a, a movie called Westworld. Uh, which was, oh, love yeah, that I movie! Awesome. Yeah, that's the first movie ever to use computer-generated images, and and that's when he first explored the idea of an amusement park run amok and attacking people. And then, of course, later on, he he expanded that with the dinosaur idea, Jurassic Park, and and, and you, you know this is off to the side, but the character of Hammond in Jurassic Park was clearly based on Walt Disney, and if you read the yeah. book. He's kind of a sinister character, and then oh when, yeah, when, uh, yeah. When Michael Crichton gave Spielberg the permission to make the movie, Spielberg said, "No, no, I'm not going to do a bad Walt Disney. I'll do a misguided Walt Disney, but I won't do a uh, bad Walt Disney." And uh, so the, the character in the movie played by Richard Attenberg is is a lot nicer. Right. Well, well it, I, it, it's yeah. been it's been nice chatting, guys. I got to get going. It's been it's been thanks for having me on the show, and it was great to talk to you, Steve. Hope the rest of the oh. show goes awesome for you. Thank you very much. Thanks, AJ, for uh, for for dropping by today, and uh, we'll we'll be having you having you back on the show soon. So uh, have a good day now. It. You too. Bye bye.
it's always fun to have AJ on the show, and uh, I I am just amazed at these stories about the opening day at uh, at Disneyland, and and just can't imagine what Walt Disney thought when he was reading the the reports. <laughs> about that day but he didn't let that deter him he just got right back on the horse as they say yeah yeah got to work got to work uh, fixing things and i wanted to ask you uh steven going back to the planning you know the original planning on disneyland um what was involved in uh, some of the planning for those uh rides especially the the exciting rides that um, that were one the one that i enjoyed the most when when i was in um disneyland uh, with my with my kids uh, in fact it was i think during the opening first 5 years i i don't remember the exact date but um i just absolutely loved the uh peter pan flight and i yeah, i that, think that, that might have been walt disney's favorite Ride out of all of the rides in, in yeah, Disneyland. Yeah, that was his favorite ride. He loved he loved going well that and the Disneyland Railroad. But he loved he loved going on Peter Pan's flight over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, well, one, I would one that, too. Yeah, one thing that was involved was him personally checking things out and and enjoying the place. I mean, Fantasyland was his favorite. So so to 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 uh, to have that experience of of uh, just you know. Uh, going on it and the the sensation of flying was something he loved and the interesting thing about that was he wasn't that big of a fan of Peter Pan the movie um no. i mean I, I you know i don't think he disliked it but but his type of movie was was uh, uh sympathetic characters and and he didn't find Peter Pan particularly sympathetic like like Snow White and Cinderella would be more his type of movie because you you, you put them into danger and the audience is automatically probably going to be rooting for them and be emotional but he found Peter Pan to be just as nasty as Captain Hook you know so he didn't know he didn't know who to root for in that movie and and that <laughs> it's interesting to speculate um, if Walt would have enjoyed the idea of of or or taken to the idea of what Disney has done recently, um, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, the idea of turning rides into movies uh, rather than the other way around, because he, he felt that rides should be uh, like an experience and it doesn't have to be sort of a connected story, whereas a movie, of course, obviously needs to have a narrative. So so it, it would have been interesting, but th- there were different things involved. One of the, the things that Walt did constantly when he was planning Disneyland was crouch down so he could see the buildings through the eyes of a child. And, oh. and yeah, he was constantly doing that. And, the, and there were other things, too, like like no administration buildings, at least nothing visible, because he he felt that, that the staff should be out amongst the public. And and seeing what worked and what didn't work, and 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 you know when people would tell him you need to hire somebody with amusement park experience, he he would take umbrage to it. He would say, well, look at other amusement parks. I mean, they're horrible. Why, you know, why why would I want to, you know, have that kind of experience? You know, it always reminds me when people say, well, this politician has more experience. You know, I mean, well, look at, you, you know, I, I think he, that's how I feel. And Walt felt that way about a, a amusement park experience. I mean, the only well, amusement you know the really crouching down. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I'm afraid I'll forget oh. forget this if I don't uh, sure. uh, if I don't uh, mention it. But uh, I like what you said about Walt Disney crouching down to look at things. You know, 
from the, uh, with the eyes of a child. But I don't think he crouched low enough for the Sleeping Beauty castle, and I'll I'll tell you why. Uh, as an adult, I mean, I thought it was just it was just great. But we took our daughter, um, and she was only three years old, and she she lost it in <laughs> Sleeping Beauty castle. She absolutely oh, she, she got became hysterical with the with the you know the witch it was just too imposing for her too intimidating for her and i just uh, wondered uh, my husband and i both we thought my goodness uh, disneyland is primarily for for adults because of some you know some of these type of experiences but my daughter to this day she's grown and she has uh, children of her own and she still tells that story about the sleeping beauty castle and how big and imposing that it was but she went back later you know when she was older and she said well this isn't that big and this isn't that scary but uh, but uh he certainly uh, did try to hit all the age groups don't uh, don't you think so yeah, and 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 there's always been an element of that of uh, what you just said. I mean, going back to Snow White when when he made that movie, it made eight million dollars, and movie tickets cost mm. twenty five cents for for adults and a dime for kids in 1938. So it, it was a wonderful success. But there was one thing that really bothered him is that maybe he made the the queen a little bit too scary. Um, oh, like a hunter. Right. That that Radio City Music Hall, the managers uh, would call him up and say, "We're going to have to charge you um, an extra fee here because we have to keep replacing the seats because every couple of days the seats get really wet when they're watching this. The kids are watching this movie, so oh. you know there's de- yeah. So th- there's always been an element of our, our. I mean, our Disney. You know, the balance between trying to make things. That that are family friendly, but also make things that are adult enough for for people to be interested in. And there's always been an element of fear, both in the rides and in the movies. And I'll tell you, um, this had nothing to do with Walt, but I remember going to see the the Michael Jackson Captain EO a few years back. Me too. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the little children were scared to death of Angela Houston. Um, you know when they saw that. Yes, and I, it scared me a bit too. But but we do love to be scared. Most of us do love to be scared in a in a, a setting like that. But Stephen, who would ever have imagined that um, a ride like Pirates of the Caribbean? I mean, I loved it. I loved it. But I never even dreamed that there would be this series of tremendously successful <laughs> films based on that uh, on that ride. I mean. I, don't you feel the same way about it? I mean, aren't you kind of amazed that that's happened? Well, I, I love pirate movies, um, so I, I would always go see one. But but the thing about that is it's really due to one person. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. Walt Disney made Alice in Wonderland in 1951, and it was a flop. Uh, it lost a million dollars, and now they remake it, and, and it's a big hit. And, and uh, you know, they one that same person seems to be the difference. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Yeah, <laughs> right. and and you know, but Betty Joe, I think I'm losing my phone. Could I call back with my other phone really quick? Uh, is that possible? I think my phone battery might die out here. 
Oh sure, yes. Go ahead, go ahead yes. and go ahead and do that. This is probably okay. a, a good time to check with Danny to see if there are any uh, comments from the uh, chat okay. and to find I'll, out I'll what right some now. of. Okay, very good. Okay. And to find out if people have any favorite uh, Disneyland rides. Danny, are you mis- multitasking or can you can you get on the line now? I'm on here, but I can multitask and talk at the same time. <laughs> oh, you're awesome. <laughs> so We have um, lots of listeners today. Great. Hi, we listeners. Had, We're so glad you're here. We had one good question from Jack Beth, and he said, uh, did Walt Disney's animatronic robots attack the visitors? <laughs> <laughs> only, Only in their dreams. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Jack always comes up with the good. <laughs> yeah, that's stuff. when we were talking about the opening day and how bad that could be. <laughs> oh, that would be. That, well, I do know that the mules. Uh, there were, you know, they were able to. The visitors were able to ride on mules that day. I think I have this right, and the mules actually did bite <laughs> some of the visitors. Oh so. my. They had they had to well, stop the mule the mule rides. Stephen I think we have calling uh, back in. Yes, I think he is. I'm going to. Well, hello. Hi there. You hi, go. Stephen. Hi. I'm sorry about that. Well, that's all right. We're glad that you're we're glad that you're back. We. Uh, I was wondering um, about um, how Walt kept himself in in the mind of the public when he was planning improvements because he was always doing that. And right. you'd think he was just so busy doing that that people might forget about him and he'd just be busy working away. But did he have any special techniques for that? Just, uh, you know, imagination. I, I mean, just, just looking at it from, uh, from a, you know, a customer's point of view. I mean, one of the big issues was the, the, some of the bean counters wanted to, to shorten the rides to make the lines move faster. And he was very fierce about saying, absolutely not. You know the the um, the the rides have to have to uh, be longer, and and people won't mind if they're getting something of value. And and see that was an issue because the way financially the key to Disneyland was Walt's decision to get into television, which was a very unique thing for a movie mogul. I mean, other movie moguls would, would fire, like Jack Warner, for example, would fire people who own television sets. I mean, they considered really? it a great threat. Yeah, and Uh-oh. and and. Yeah, you look like Bob Hope. He wasn't allowed to host the Academy Awards for quite a few years there because they were so angry with him for going into television. Oh, Walt, no. Yeah, but Walt saw television not as competition but as a, as an enabler, as a way to, to, to let the public know what he was doing. And and, and so, um, you know, to, uh, um, he made the deal with ABC See, CBS and NBC were the top two rated networks, and ABC was a distant third. They mostly had public address announcements. And so Walt, they were starving for entertainment. So the deal Walt made was there would be two television uh, shows. Uh, actually, it turned out to be three with Zorro. But, but the, yeah, the Disneyland, which later became the wonderful world of, of color, and then the wonderful world of Disney. And you also had the Mickey Mouse Club. And in return, yes. ABC's ratings shot up. And, and and so ABC was the one who went to him with Bank of to Bank of America 
to help finance the loans he needed to build Disneyland. And, and oh. you know, ABC would want to, to divvy up the profits, and they would get mad when Walt would pour money back into the park because Walt felt that they should stay ahead of the curve. So it was giving extra minutes on a ride, putting, putting uh, you know, fancy furniture and medium-priced restaurants on Main Street or, or, or uh, you, you know, if people were walking over the grass, Put a little bridge over the grass so people don't do that. If you have an ugly boat dock, build a nice restaurant next to it. Uh, I, I mean, if yeah. you have a parade, spend more money on the parade. And, 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 and you know, th- th- things like this would get him objections from his partners. So finally he ended up buying out ABC because he couldn't stand to listen to them complain anymore. Well, good and, for uh, him. I'm glad he did that. <laughs> well, the right, television right. helped a lot because that got the word out. And those, oh, those wonderful did. World of Disney shows on television, I I would never miss them. And you know the kids growing up, they they just love them too. So so right. good good for Walt. Yeah, that's right. What? And of course, oh go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I no, I I was just wondering. Uh, I told you what my favorite Disneyland attraction uh, is: the, the flight, the gravity defying. Peter Pan flight, and that's pretty tame, I think, now, <laughs> considering some of the more advanced uh, rides. But what is your favorite Disneyland attraction, or, or do you have one? Uh, Pirates, probably, but I've been on it so many times, you know, and I, I, li- I left it before, even before Johnny Depp got involved with it. And, and you know, I was going to say with Johnny Depp, it, when Disney made that movie, the idea was going to be a, a traditional pirate out of the the Burt Lancaster mode, and and it was oh. actually written for for, uh, for uh, uh, Hugh Jackman. That's why the character was called Captain Jack. And, and uh, Hugh Jackman fell out to do the X Men movies, and 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 so they had Johnny Depp, and he came up with this entirely original concept, which really uh, kind of scared his fellow actors and his bosses. I, I mean, he had the you know, he went to the dentist, he got four gold caps, and the dentist said, isn't this a bit excessive? And he said, well, I only want two, but I need something to bargain with. And so he was in Michael Eisner's office, and he's smiling at him, and Michael Eisner's like, what did you do? Four gold caps, ridiculous. Get rid of them, and maybe two, but not four. And so he got exactly what he wanted. And, and, then, and then he, of course, said that the character is based on Pepe Le Pew, and uh, – and, uh, Keith Richards and, and, and yeah, what uh, a combination, <laughs> right? And the Disney exe- Michael Eisner was was you know horrified uh, by the footage. I, I mean, he kept calling the director Gore Verbonsky, said he's ruining the movie, he's ruining the movie. And finally, Johnny Depp said, "Well, you know, either trust me or fire me." And of course, firing a major star like that is a tough thing because you have to start from scratch, and the other actors' schedules might not you know provide for it. So they went through and made the movie and it was obviously a smash hit and I, I I think pretty much since then Johnny Depp has been either the first or second I guess you could argue Will Smith uh, but the, you know definitely up there in the top tier of Hollywood since that time and, and well, of yes, course the and latest that's one iconic, that's an iconic character that that, that he created right. I mean just uh, one of my favorite all time favorite uh, movie characters and I did not know 
that uh, Hugh Jackman was the one that was supposed to play Captain Jack Sparrow. And I, I always say after Hugh Jackman, be still my heart. And uh, we always do mention Hugh Jackman <laughs> every show. But you're the one that brought it, brought the name up. So so I yeah. give you give you credit for that. Well, why do you think Disneyland has remained so popular? Of course, now there's a. Uh, Disney World and Epcot Center and uh, Disneyland in Tokyo. I mean, there's there's so many more amusement parks that are that have uh, piggybacked on Disneyland. But well, you you know, I think, well, I think it became so famous right away and 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 ingrained in people's minds and part of Americana right away. So I, I think you know it just became a traditional place to go and 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 uh you know it's hard to get away from the idea that you'll have a good time and every kid should see this and 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 uh but 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 as far as 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 uh i i also think it has a lot to do with walt i think like when you walk through there and you look at how carefully the architecture was put together and 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 and, and just the cleanliness of it the, you, you know the one thing Walt Disney did not have was tact uh, he when he built New Orleans Square that was uh uh you know because he and his wife loved going to New Orleans to buy antiques and and uh uh he uh, when when they opened it up it was the last year of Walt's life and the mayor of New Orleans came in 1966 and he, he said oh Mr. D- this is just like home is just like New Orleans and Walt said actually it's cleaner so oh dear <laughs> yeah you know, he, well he it is it very, is clean except yeah. except maybe sometimes in the in the back you know like where people are getting getting ready my uh, grandson did perform and granddaughter they performed in bands there when they were in um in middle school and they said that that was that you know where you were changing and all that was that was you know not really disneyland you're you know it's when you're out there with the attractions and the rides but but right. the children love i think the the characters the, you know, when Mickey Mouse comes up and greets right. him, uh, just yeah, I mean, and, and that could be a dangerous job. That job, you know, especially <laughs> if you're a bad character, you might get kicked in the shins or something like that. So, you know, but I think I, I think oh, hopefully they realize not to do that. You know, but, <laughs> but uh, it's just you know. amazing. And think of the people who um, have gotten uh, their start. There in Disneyland, I just finished reading um, "Born Standing Up" by Steve Martin, right. and um, he talked about uh, you know getting his start there, you know doing magic and you know playing in. I think they oh I love that uh, Wild West uh, sh- uh, show. There's a, a little saloon like place, you know, like it would be a Wild West saloon oh, where you go in you. and you see the you see the uh, a complete show there. I just I just love that and. Steve Martin, you know, credits in this book how he he just picked up so many tips on on his shtick, you know, how to how to make people laugh uh, from his work at uh, Disneyland, and I'm sure there are many many other people who have uh, yeah. gotten their gotten their start uh, there. Yeah. So Kevin Costner worked there as Prince Charming for a while. In fact, his first wife was Snow White. 
So Oh, Kevin Costner was Prince Charming for a while. Now, that's yeah. interesting. I did I did not yeah. know that either. Yeah. I cannot believe, Stephen, that the time has gone by so fast, but every time you're on the show, you just have so many fascinating things to tell us about and um, I want to make sure before uh, the show is over that you tell our listeners where they can f- find out more about you and, and your uh, entertaining books sure my book is uh, called Hollywood Stories Short Entertaining Anecdotes about the stars and legends of the movies and it's available in bookstores uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon um, uh, the website is hollywoodstories.com and I, I have a couple of other products you mentioned my audio book uh, Fascinating Walt Disney I have my audio book Tales of Hollywood still give tours of Hollywood but uh, the main book uh, and it features a whole chapter called Walt Disney Stories is uh, Hollywood Stories short entertaining anecdotes about the stars and legends of the movies and the website for all the information is hollywoodstories.com Oh, you know, Stephen, I've read your uh, Hollywood Stories book, and I absolutely love the amazing information you share in that book. It's a must-read for movie addicts, listeners, and your comments today have made me uh, just kind of uh, chomping at the bit here to check out your fascinating Walt Disney uh, audio book. And I also yeah. want to thank AJ for co-hosting today. I'm sure he'll listen to the archives, and he he did a great uh, he did a great job, and I hope, uh, Stephen, that you will return for more Movie Attic Headquarters shows in the future. Will you do that? Absolutely. Fantastic. We'll look forward to it, but it's time to wrap things up now. So this is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio and at WRSP 936 for their support. Special thanks to Danny, Jazz, and Nikki for everything they do to make hosting this show so much fun. Nikki, if you're listening, get well soon. We all miss you. Thanks also to our chatters and other listeners. We hope everyone enjoyed today's show. I sure did. Please come back next time for our tribute to the great Katherine Hepburn when we hope to hear from Hepburn's niece, actress Katherine Houghton, who played Hepburn's daughter in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Film historian James Cold Harrison and Diana Sanger from Classic Movie Guide will also be joining us, and I can hardly wait. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. That's all for now, folks. So because we're celebrating a Disneyland anniversary, Kenny Loggins will take us out with a song that always makes me want to celebrate. Get ready, everyone. Here comes Footloose.